kayaking and being out in the great outdoors is such a treat. We need to enjoy it while we can because life is fleeting, that is for sure. I myself recently got a ride from jet skis in Miami, kayak through some mangroves in the Keys, and just overall enjoy what life has to offer. These stories, though, are going to take those types of trips and twist them into some horrifying stories. These viewers sent in their allegedly true horror stories while kayaking and being in the great outdoors. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Freaky Fishing Trip by Anonymous A couple of weeks ago, my cousin and his friend went out in our kayaks for a day of fishing and relaxing. It is early spring, so it was our first time out this year. Being something we did, my cousin and I, not his friend, it was his first time out, almost on a weekly occasion, the last couple of years, the weather was really nice. The pond we went out on is called the Great Island Pond aptly named for the two-acre island located directly in the center. On this island is an abandoned hunting lodge. From what locals have told me, it was used until sometime in the 1970s. The area has all new housing developments and neighborhoods, but this was a remote place back in the day. My cousin and I often stopped in our kayaks and walked through the house at some point during each kayak trip. It's a rather large house with three floors, a wraparound deck on the second floor, and an absolutely beautiful view of the pond and woods. Having been there many times, we know how everything inside is set up. Getting back to the story, we got out of our kayaks and explained the house and its layout, where to step and where not to step, to our guest and first-time kayakers. After we were through, we went up the stairs and into the kitchen, checking out the old well pumps and retro refrigerator. Not ten seconds into entering the house, we heard a loud walking or running sound from upstairs, and we all stopped and listened. It sounded like a person walking, or a large animal because it was very loud. There was no way a squirrel or a raccoon weighed enough to make those loud steps. We were a little freaked out, but being three twenty-somethings, we shrugged it off and acted like we were not worried at all. The next thing we did was cut through the parlor to get out to the front deck and show our buddy the tremendous outside view. While walking through the room, my cousin and I stopped and looked at each other. He asked me exactly what I was just about to ask him. Why is the door upstairs closed? The door had never been closed during any of the previous visits to the house, and it is something that we both noticed immediately. The place has no wind because all the doors are in permanently closed positions or are stuck where they are. We continued to the porch and hung out for just a couple of minutes, taking pictures and enjoying the view. We walked back inside to check the rest of the house and as we walked back across the parlor, the closed door that leads upstairs flings open hard enough to leave a dent in the wall. We ran out of the house back to the front yard. We were all visibly shaken up trying to figure out how that could have happened. There was no wind that day, all the other doors were closed, and the door that opened was clicked shut when we first saw it. After about five minutes of deciding if we should go back in, we did exactly that, 
We went upstairs and could not find a single living soul, not even a scared animal. We were absolutely dumbfounded. It was an exciting and confusing pit stop during our most relaxing day. One other thing that happened to me recently was I was lying on my back in bed, trying to fall asleep to no avail. For some reason, I felt the need to open my eyes, which was never really happening to me before. At least not that I can remember. I saw this misty pattern moving across on my ceiling. It was black but had some colors in it. It was moving around in one general area directly above me. I had this weird feeling in my body as well. I thought my eyes were playing tricks on me so I woke up my girlfriend, who was next to me, and asked if she could see it. She said she couldn't, but I was looking right at it. I closed my eyes and waited a few more minutes, opened them again, only to see the exact same thing. Eventually I fell asleep and I, I must have just brought it up to random people because what could this be? Am I going crazy? I don't feel like I am though. Maybe somebody in the swamp will know what I saw. The Mammoth Cave River by Book Length Thriller A few years ago, my friends and I went on a 45-mile, three-night camping trip and kayaking trip down the Green River in Kentucky which runs above the Mammoth Cave System, the world's largest known cave system with more than 400 miles of surveyed passageways. We brought everything we needed in our kayaks and one canoe, food, tents, water filtration, etc. We camped each night on the riverbank when it started getting dark and we found a level enough ground. The first night was rather uneventful except to say that there is nothing like a wall of fireflies against a mountainous black tree line at night in the middle of nowhere. The second day, around sunset, after a long day of kayaking and baking in the July heat, we came upon a stream on the bank that opened up into a large ravine. As we discovered, the stream was a cave spring pouring cold blue cave water into a lagoon about 30 feet wide, and it was absolutely beautiful. The water was so profound that the blue water turned black after only a few feet because of the sand and the rocks. The lagoon had a long, sandy beach secluded by hills on either side and a tall, overhanging cliff behind us. It was beautiful and like an otherworldly place. While we were there, time felt like it was moving slowly. We decided to camp there for the night. The sand was soft, white, and very fine. Ideal for ground sleeping. The place deeply frightened me but I didn't speak up. We were all tired and everyone was having fun. We built a small fire and enjoyed the stars through the leaf canopy. Before everyone went to bed, I slept hard that night. Sometime around 5 a.m. I woke up to relieve myself. It was still fairly dark outside. I had the tent door zipper about halfway opened and had just popped my head out when I heard a loud and terrible scream. I immediately recoiled back into the tent and zipped it closed, and I waited. Near the dwindling fire, the cry came about 10 feet from my left. It was high-pitched, but not like an owl's screech, although I'm not ruling that out. It was a wretched, pained scream that got lower-pitched as it went toward the end. Being that we were in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, most likely it was some sort of fox or boar or maybe even a bird. Whatever it was, I laid awake for an hour listening. I heard absolutely nothing in return. Granted, we were on a soft beach, 
but I didn't hear a single twig snap or a leaf crinkle when whatever it was finally shuffled away. It was bizarre. At this time, up the beach and off to the side of the lagoon was a small, dry cave opening maybe three feet wide. I cannot say with any certainty that is where some sort of ancient cave-dwelling creature lives or whatever and decided to investigate our camp, but I somehow feel like it's connected. I fell asleep eventually, by the grace of God, and awoke the following day absolutely shaken. I asked if my friends heard the terrible scream, but apparently no one had. We pressed on down the Green River further. The third night, at dusk, we came upon a large rocky beach. We pulled our boats ashore and decided this would have to do, as we wanted to avoid going further downriver and risk being stuck on the water in the dark. The rocky beach was where the river split in two, and the middle formed a collection of pale rocks, tall grass, and dried out wood a lonely pile of muck the size of a football field. The land mass was covered in jumping sand spiders and tiny frogs. Again, otherworldly. We set up camp, ate, and all went to bed around the same time. It was silent for about 20 or 30 minutes. I was asleep, as the others most likely were as well. Suddenly, my dream was interrupted by what sounded like a booming, loud, mechanical wooden beast. I awoke and shot straight up. It was indeed the loudest thing I'd ever heard. It sounded like a massive bulldozer tearing down a colossal steel and wooden building. Then came a boom followed by this echo throughout the entire river valley. The animals shifted, the birds flew away, we were all awoken by the crash and yelling in confusion at each other in our tents. Silence followed outside our tents. No one was particularly willing to shine a flashlight toward the woods, and eventually we all decided it was just a falling tree and went back to sleep. The following day, I thought about it some more. It damn sure didn't sound like some sort of falling tree. I must stress it had a metallic quality and was projected purposefully. It almost sounded like a roar. In the morning light, we found no evidence of anything out of the ordinary, nor any prominent fallen trees that could have made such a loud noise. So we packed up, headed out onto the river one last time, and got the heck out of there. My friends and I still talk about that trip and all the weird things that happened. We did the same kayak trip a couple of years later, and nothing out of the ordinary happened. No mysterious forest noises, and to my disappointment, nothing more scary. The Scary Story with My Dogs by Clear Patient 4390 I've been a big fan of the channel for some time, and I never thought I would have a story worthy to send in, but recently, something reminded me of an incident of when I was around 13. It's easily one of the craziest and scariest experiences I've gone through to date though I try not to think about it. Although, if you are triggered by animals getting hurt, I suggest that you don't listen to this story and skip to the next one. Before I get into it, I thought I'd give you a little context. In the years prior, my mom adopted a little four-year-old pit bull mix rescue named Mabel. She's the sweetest, most playful dog you could ever meet and loves the company of other dogs. 
After about a year, she decided she wanted to keep Mabel company since she was working and adopted another rescue named Lola. We weren't sure about her breed, but her age and face structure were similar. She was overweight and slightly territorial regarding toys and food and things other dogs would like to do, but other than that, she was just a little couch potato. When we first got her, we tried to introduce the dogs to each other to avoid conflict slowly. At first, it was going rather well. So, after about a year without incident, they seemed to be okay around each other and didn't mind each other's company. At this time, my sister, my mom, her boyfriend, and his two kids took a trip to Florida, a small coastal town in the Gulf of Mexico. We would usually go to a beach house my family owned, but it had been destroyed during a hurricane, so we settled on renting a small home just 10 minutes up the road on the same beach. We took the dogs out because Mabel enjoyed splashing around in the water. One day, around three days into our week-long trip, we were having a good time at the beach. Mabel's just sniffing around and Lola, a little overweight for a dog, is just nestled down into the sand next to my mom and her boyfriend in their chairs. I'm not so sure what I was doing exactly, but I just remember hearing the deepest, most guttural growl and then my mom screamed. I whipped my head around to see the dogs snapping at each other and baring their teeth. Then all of a sudden Lola's jaws were locked around Mabel's neck and head area and she's not letting go. They're both deep growling. It was just the most intense situation I've ever experienced. I started rushing over to break it up, even though I had no idea what I could possibly do. Before I could get there though, my mom's boyfriend jumped in in an attempt to break them apart. Not wanting to hurt them, he attempts the wheelbarrow method, essentially lifting the dog into the air and turning them sideways onto their back while in the mood to get them to release their bite. Meanwhile, I'm ashamed to say I was frozen in fear and my mom and sister were just hysterical. But thank the lord it worked, Lola immediately released her grip and let Mabel go. After separating, we checked to ensure they weren't hurt. Neither dog was really super hurt besides a few bites and scratches. Thankfully, there were no deep wounds or punctures. We still rushed them to a vet and they were both okay and sent home with some antibiotic cream and pain meds. The vet said that the territorialism was common for new dogs being introduced into a household, especially for those who are not puppies. We can partially blame ourselves for not keeping a closer eye on them, but we did think at that point they were pretty much acclimated with each other, but I guess you can never be too careful. They've got an excellent sisterly bond, from cuddling on the couch, sharing toys, and all that good stuff. It's been a couple of years since this happened, and it seems like they are now friends. It still astounds me how quickly dogs' primal instincts can kick in though, take over their body, and they forget all about the happiness and fun times, and it's all about the red. I know this might not be the typical horror story you share, and maybe it's not a horror story at all, but I did want to share this with everybody in the swamp. Weird Experiences by Midday Moon I experienced what I can only imagine is an otherworldly occurrence when I moved to the Sierra Nevadas about four years ago. I'd been living in the South Lake of Tahoe, California area for, for many years and spent a decent amount of time in the outdoors, hiking, camping, and generally enjoying the beautiful place I was lucky enough to call home. Now, I don't get scared quickly. I'm used to being by myself and I carry weapons everywhere I go. Being a 5'2 and 110 pound female, I go out of my way to be sure I can protect myself. Many people in the outdoor community told me about being careful on the trails in the forest, 
I usually do these things alone, save for my trustworthy, though somewhat cowardly dog. But I had never felt as uncomfortable, confused, and downright afraid as I did in my apartment one night, when I finally relocated away from Tahoe to Reno, Nevada. I had moved to Reno to escape the isolation of living in Lake Tahoe, and though it is only about 60 miles away, it felt like a whole different world. Now the city itself isn't necessarily huge, and I was living in the north end of town, surrounded by high desert foothills and somewhat sparsely populated compared to more of the urban city center. Still, I never felt like I was out in the boonies or anything. I lived alone with my pop and we liked our little apartment. So to set the scene here, it was early fall and the sun was beginning to develop at a much earlier time of day, which was exemplified by the fact that the city sits in a valley, so sunset seems to approach much faster than in other places in northern Nevada. My apartment sat just above street level with a window in the kitchen next to my stacked washer and dryer that looked out into an alley maybe about 10 feet above the small street beside the small fourplex building. It was dark outside, and I was alone with my dog doing laundry. My apartment layout was an open concept, and the living room slash kitchen area was separated by a wall that had a vast space cut out into it so you could walk through and see each other. With the washer and dryer tucked around, and the aforementioned window to the left of that, with the openness of the space, the darkness outside, and the number of overall windows the apartment had, it almost felt like you were in a spotlight. If it was dark out and I had the lights on, it looked like I was living in a fishbowl or a terrarium. Anyone or anything could see right in. I made it a point to permanently close my blinds, save for the small window looking out to the alley. I didn't mind keeping those blinds open because I liked the fresh air, and someone would need a ladder to reach me if they had been determined enough. As I was removing the clothing from the dryer and turning to plop it on my couch to begin folding, I realized my dog was acting incredibly strange. He didn't want to cross the line, so to speak, from my living room to the kitchen, marked by a change from the carpet to tile. Though it was only a few steps, he seemed incredibly hesitant and began whining and burping out small concerned wolves. At first I just thought he was anxious. For whatever reason, he is known to be a bit of a weenie, but then out of nowhere, I sensed this immense and insurmountable feeling of dread and displacement. I turned my back to the washer, dryer, and small alley facing window. My dog sat facing me, almost looking past me, and his apparent anxiety and frustration began to build as I was asking him what was wrong. He started barking a whole alarm bark at this point. And, as soon as he did, the sense that someone or something was observing me took over me and caused my blood to run cold. My logical response was someone was just watching me through the window. The only window that has open blinds. And the only window that anyone could see me through. So, in one fell swoop, I reached for the overhead drawstring for the light and turned it off and faced the window, confronting whoever or whatever was intruding on my life. As soon as the light clicked off and the room was dark, I saw what I could only describe as a perfectly round light about the size of a small cantaloupe directly across from me on the other side of the window. It didn't glow like a lamp or a light though. Its edges were perfect and it didn't hover or vibrate or even move. At this point, I was too stunned to move and my fight or flight response had engaged so quickly that I had no time to recognize or rationalize what I was seeing. I was looking at this thing and it was looking back. I felt cold and confused. My hair was standing on end. My heart was racing. My dog had gone into complete freakout mode and was jumping and barking and generally causing a stir in the living room, as he could see all of this as well. 
The light seemed to now realize that I could see it, and it looked as if it backed away or at least grew more diminutive in size. It had moved to the right of the window now. It flickered twice and then disappeared. It didn't buzz away or fly away and it didn't zoom out of vision. It was visible, not visible, and then just gone. As soon as I realized the light was not there anymore, I opened the window and poked my head out to see what was going on. Maybe someone was up at my window with a flashlight. Perhaps someone in the neighboring buildings had seen something and would be checking for themselves to try and solve this odd mystery. Nothing. Not a soul. And what felt like deafening quiet was all I heard. I closed the window. As soon as I shut the window, I hear a solid three knocks on the larger window out front by the living room. As I mentioned before, those blinds were closed and though from the outside looking in it's entirely clear, someone was home because the lights were on in that room. No one could know it was me alone in my apartment, right? I wasn't expecting anyone over, and it was too late for solicitors. No one had any reason to be at my house then and I was not going to open that door. My dog had rushed to the kitchen as soon as the light outside the window had disappeared and then he was in what I can only describe full-on defense mode. And my dog is an absolute wuss. I've seen him run from cats and get spooked by bags blowing in the street, and he generally stays by my side on hikes while we're camping, because normally, he expects me to protect him. This pup seemed ready for war though. Hackles up, eyes alert, growling at the front window now. I stepped into the living room, grabbed my gun with one hand and keys with the other, and slinked back into the kitchen and out the back door to where my car was parked. I threw my dog in started it up and raced off to a restaurant across town where I ordered to-go food and ate in the front of my Subaru. We car camped in a Walmart parking lot that night. I returned to the apartment the following day, my laundry still on the couch with no apparent signs of anyone trying to enter the place. Everything seemed normal. I never experienced any disruption in that place ever again for the year and a half that I lived there afterward. I have no idea, to this day, what I experienced. It wasn't until I shared this story with some friends that I heard that knocking and the sense of being watched was somewhat common of a phenomenon to people who encounter skimwalkers. Skinwalker Encounter by Sky Glow Project Hello, my name is Heron, and I am a BBC Earth Nat Geo photographer and cinematographer for various documentaries, including Ice on Fire for HBO and Leonardo DiCaprio. A few years ago, something extraordinary happened to my shooting partner Gavin Heffernan and me at Vermilion Cliffs in Arizona. We have privately told the story to friends, but didn't figure making it public would make much sense until a friend of mine sent one of your videos about Skimwalker Ranch which echoed almost similar things that happened to us. Gavin and I have specialized in night sky photography and have covered all 50 American states and Canadian provinces, spending full nights in most remote places. However, of over 1,000 of those nights we spent shooting in. However, after spending thousands of nights out there shooting, we have never had anything like this happen. We made our way to White Pocket inside of Vermilion Cliffs a fantastic collection of swirling white lithified sandstone. We decided to spend a night there shooting time lapses for a BBC Earth short film and were the only ones there that night. We set up our six cameras and let them roll and decided to get some sleep. We set a timer for 1am to wake up and move our cameras to different places so that we could shoot another set of shots. 
When I turned, I saw lights that initially looked like headlights, but made no sense as they were in the direction of the park, where there were neither roads or trails. I pointed it out to Gavin, and we looked at it for quite some time. The more it appeared that it wasn't headlights, but possibly a headlamp of a hiker. However, there were no trails in that area, and we figured perhaps a hiker got lost and was wandering around towards us, as they may have spotted us with their headlamps. We decided to stick around and wait, as we were worried it might be someone who might take our cameras. We looked, and the light was getting closer, and when it got close enough that it was bright enough to reflect the white rocks at some point, but then it suddenly stopped. We sat there and waited in nothing. A couple of minutes later, the lights were back but much further away, and there was no way a hiker could have backtracked a few miles in a matter of five minutes. That disturbed us enough that we didn't return to our tents but stayed there to sleep next to the camera. This was a bizarre event, but we would have shrugged it off if something hadn't happened the following night. We drove to another park and hiked into a famous rock structure area called The Wave. Only about 20 people are allowed in a day via a permit, so we figured if we stayed overnight, three miles away from the parking lot, we wouldn't get any lights flashing around from cars or hikers. We could shoot the night sky videos there. It's a highly dark area at night. You can barely see your hand in front of your face. We did the same as the previous night, set up cameras and slept with the alarm set to 1am. Unlike White Pocket, the wave is situated amongst canyons that are highly echoey, and you can very clearly hear even the smallest of rocks roll half a mile away. Footsteps or any other sounds are easily heard. When we woke up, we returned to where we had left our cameras and set up new shots. However, when I went back to the spot I had left one of the cameras, it was missing. We left it there in the dark with nobody around. I frantically looked for it all around and nothing. I suspected. I may have forgotten where I exactly put it, but I was fairly certain that it was there. I went to Gavin and asked him if he recalled where I put it, and he said he was sure it was where I was. We searched for it more, covering the whole area. Then we stood there, quiet trying to see if we could hear the sound of a camera shutter clicking somewhere in the dark, but there was nothing. We agreed to go back to sleep and look for it in the morning when suddenly a loud thud reverberated through the canyon. We pointed our lights and walked in the direction of the sound. It was my camera, fallen over. There was no wind, no sounds of animals we would have easily heard, and no people. The camera was still clicking, taking shots, something we also would have heard when we were sitting there earlier listening for sound. We were beside ourselves as to how this could have happened because we set up our tripod legs wide to anticipate a possible bump of the camera by just about anything. But in this case, the camera would have had to been pushed over or dropped by something. I remember Gavin turning to me and saying, I'm an atheist, but this one's making me wonder. Following morning, I dropped Gavin back at his car. He went toward Los Angeles and I went to the city of Page, Arizona, where I planned to do a night of shooting in the Waterholes Canyon. That's just underneath State Highway 89 and about 5 miles south of the town. Tried to put last night's event in the back of my head as I had to shoot alone this night. I was still in the Vermilion Cliffs area, but this was just outside the park and I was close to the town, so unlike the last two nights in a completely remote location, this was underneath a highly utilized bridge of a busy state road. I parked and went into the canyon to scout things out in daylight. I wanted to grab a shot of the bridge from inside the canyon, looking up at the night sky above it. As I made my way down into the canyon, hiking down a trail, I started to smell something strange. The closer I got to the canyon area underneath the bridge, the more I smelled it. When I got there, I spotted next to the bridge support structures what appeared to be a dead dog. I got closer, and it was clear the smell was coming from there. I then realized it wasn't a dog, but a coyote, and it was lying. 
not as it fell from above, but as if someone had set it down. However, the disturbing part was that the coyote was missing its bottom jaw and its tongue, and it was sliced off, like it was missing. Not ripped off, but sliced off, with precision. I left and never went back again. I didn't think about this much until I watched your episode about Skimwalker Ranch, and now it's really making me think. Plagued by Skimwalkers by Logan O. I would call this monster mania because this was the night and place where many southwest cryptids like to roam. This took place a year ago in Prescott, Arizona, on my uncle's ranch. This all took place in a two-week time span. I will share week one with you now, and on Monday, I will send in week two when I have time. But anyways, let's get started. On day one in my wildlife journal, there is a whole host of critters. Bears, wolves, mountain lions, eagles, foxes, badgers, squirrels, herds of deer, elk, bison, etc. All of these animals are in my five-year journal. Still, I have heard many stories about a creature called Bigfoot, but have yet to encounter one. But that night of that day, I think I might have heard, or maybe even potentially seen, a family of Bigfoot. There's nothing really special to recount about that, just like the deer and elk they were passing through on one of the game trails. My guess is the abundance of prey. The only thing special I observed was the alpha male looking like a silverback gorilla. Night 2 and in my journal, I wrote my observations of what I believed to be some sort of dogman. I overheard my uncle claim he shot one while protecting his sheep years ago. So I decided to check the sheep pen and followed a trail of blood to see that one of them had been dragged away. After following and tracking this monster, I almost gave up and headed to my deer stand to see if I could record any more wildlife. I managed to record a family of grouses and a few rabbits, and then I saw something that was very, very odd. It was like a deer, standing on two legs, but it looked wrong, like almost as if it were like a skeletal deer. But it smelled like absolute death. This was on night three, and was the most eventful thing that I think my family or myself have ever, ever experienced. This thing began to screech, run around our cabin, and make all sorts of noise all night. That smell never went away. Even after it was gone in the morning, that smell seemingly lingered for multiple hours. I don't know what was stalking us that night, but I am fairly sure it was a skimwalker. I'm sorry if this story is all over the place. I'm not a great writer, but I did want to try to recount as much information to you as possible. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true kayaking and outdoor horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to slap that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it to fresh new eyes, and that's incredibly helpful to the swamp growing. If you're new to the swamp, what are you waiting for? Why not join us? Be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode as I upload them almost every single day in all things natural and supernatural. Per usual, this show is ran by stories sent in by viewers just like you. If you have stories that you would like to share in a future episode, no matter if it's an outdoor story, a ghost story, or anything like that, be sure to submit it to swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. You can also go to reddit.com r slash the dark swamp and submit it there. 
Thank you guys so, so much for supporting the swamp the way you do. I couldn't do this on a daily basis without you guys. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium, but you still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and pretty much anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you made it all the way to the end, I'd love to know what story was your favorite tonight. Tonight's code word is Hopping Shark. Be sure to comment that down below. The funniest comment will get pinned to the top per usual. And I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.